It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. One for three. One for three or yeah, one and that's two? That's what I meant. One for three. Oh, one for three. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> USC, baby. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 711 of Locked On Raptors for Thursday, May the 7th. I am your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors. And remember, all month long, this show is brought to you by Built Bar. Try the toffee almond. It kicks ass. Uh, also, make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network, also brought to you by Built Bar this month. Please make sure you're subscribing to, rating, and reviewing all the shows that you want to support. This week, we're still running through best games in franchise history, and lots of great stuff is coming out across the board. So please subscribe to, rate, review all the shows that are uh, churning out great content right now, even though there is no sports to speak of. Uh, That is also not stopping us here from talking about some of the best games in Raptors history. Yesterday on the podcast, if you have not listened, go do that. Alvin Williams joined me on the show. And we talked about a lot of things. We talked about him guarding Allen Iverson and getting 54 points put on his head by Iverson in the game two <laughs> of the uh, second round back in 2001. We talked about his relationship with Kyle Lowry and the Vince Carter era, the beginnings, the endings, all that stuff. He was lovely. Please go check that out. But of course, the highlight of Alvin Williams' career came in game five of the first round against the New York Knicks in 2001. And his dagger shot, it was not a game winner or a buzzer beater or anything like that, but it was a dagger right at the, you know, the the kind of point of the game where things were going to be decided. He almost turns it over with about 50 seconds left. Uh, Vince Carter recovers it, gets the ball back to Williams. He cans a jumper, and the Raptors go up 89-83 and do not look back. And that game, Game 5, was a very fun, tense, awesome, deciding game. And joining me on today's show to talk about that game in depth after having watched it on a very grainy YouTube feed, (laughs) it is our pal from the Confederacy of Dunks podcast and a returning guest on the show. It's Freddie Rivas. Freddie, what's up, man? Uh, not too much, man. Uh, thanks for having me on the pod again. It was a, it was a really fun kind of look back into a, a pretty huge moment in Raptors history. Absolutely. And also just like a completely unidentifiable version of basketball. I know we've been seeing a lot yes. of it, like this style of basketball in the last dance footage, but to see a, a full game of it with the team that you like playing and the team that you like rolling out two bigs in the front court and just bludgeoning the shit out of the New York Knicks with with rebounding. Uh, It was a lot of fun. And so we're going to dive into that game in depth today. We're going to talk about the result, the different guys who really stood out. Uh, Of course, to remind people, actually, as I try to pull up the box score, um, this was, of course, the deciding game of the Raptors and Knicks series in the first round. They'd never won a series at this point. Obviously, a very uh, important moment for the team and kind of one of the high watermarks, the only playoff series win they would have with uh, Vince Carter on the team as well. And I don't know, Freddie, like thinking back to this series, 
What are your recollections of it? Because I was like seven years old. This was kind of when I first got into the team. My first game or one of the first games I remember uh, in terms of playoffs was the game six against the Sixers that I went to with my grandfather. And it was fucking awesome. Oh, wow. Um, but I, like this Knicks series is a little bit lost on me just because I think most memories at that time in your life are a little bit foggy. What, what were your recollections of this series? Yeah, I think we're pretty similar. We must be similarly aged, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I consider myself like a Vince Carter era Raptors fan. Like I definitely, you know, had Raptors paraphernalia and liked Mighty Mouse and that sort of thing. But I really became obsessive with the Raptors when they, when they drafted Vince Carter. Mm-hmm. And uh, this team, you know, is so close to my heart. Like I just, I remember like intimately, you know, not like, knowing the details of Eric Montross's game, but I, I did really like the whole team. And I was, I I was still in this zone of, it's going to sound silly, but I was also young. And I thought maybe there was a chance that Vince Carter was Michael Jordan. Mm -hmm. And he was like, and we were lucky enough to get that. So this was still, you know, it was part of that continuum of like how good, you know, can this guy get and if I'm not mistaken, his first like massive breakout playoff game was game four, the game, the game right before this. So mm-hmm. I don't exactly remember my feelings at this time. I was probably more, more nervous than anything else. And uh, there's no way I you know, understood like the X's and O's like I do now. Well, as it turns out, the X's and O's are pretty rudimentary, so that's not a yeah. problem uh, looking back on this game. Um, yeah, th- like this was a, a grimy-ass series. It was, again, the first kind of coming-out party for Vince. They'd gotten swept the year before by the Knicks in the first round, yeah. and they never really were supposed to be there. And this Knicks team was kind of on its tail end, and it's like last legs of being good in the middle of this season, uh, or at the end of this season that we're talking about. And so I'm not sure... like. Even going back, this one of my biggest sort of uh, impressions of this game is I'm not sure who the Knicks' best player really was. Like it seemed like Allen Houston was the guy, but Latrell Sprewell was kind of all over the place in this one. You know, Mark Jackson, who previously was a Raptor the year before this, traded for Chris Childs, uh, who we'll get to. I'm sure you know he's on this team. Like it's a strange team. Glenn Rice plays a bunch as a small ball four. But I wasn't really sure like who is supposed to be the alpha dog on this team. Whereas, and in fairness to your Michael Jordan opinions or your optimism about Vince Carter, you know th- he was probably the closest next Jordan to actually coming through on that promise. And he was very clearly the best guy on the, on the team and the very best player in the series by far. Uh, yeah. And that was very noticeable watching this game. Like he got to his spots pretty much anytime he wanted to when he wasn't being double teamed immediately. Uh, and that was pretty stark. Uh, to run back through the series, the Raptors lose game one uh, by the score of 92 to 85 uh, in New York. They win game two by 20 points in New York as well. 94-74. Alvin Williams goes off for 23. We talked about that game yesterday with Alvin. Again, go listen to that podcast. It was awesome. Uh, they lose game three back in Toronto, 97-89. Uh, that's a game where Latrell Sprewell goes for 20. Allen Houston goes for 24. And the leading scorer for the Raptors is Antonio Davis with 21-12. and 12. And then you mentioned game four. That's the game where Vince really bursts out. The Raptors win it to force a game five, scoring 100 points. The only time a team in the series scored 100 points in the Wow. 193 win just an absolutely disgusting series uh <laughs> but credits to vince he scored 32 a playoff career high at that point uh in the victory to send it back to new york and that brings us to game five at madison square garden on tnt 
Dick Stockton and uh, Hubie Brown on the call, which was lovely. Uh, Hubie was. in particular was a star of this game. We'll get into He's Hubie, amazing. I'm sure. Um, I, I want to start first with the intro, which is like an extremely pre-9-11 intro where it's just like this big montage that says, it's war. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it it's very aggressive. jarring. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have any uh, uh, any impressions on sort of the lead up and the, uh, the the tee up of the broadcast on this one? Well, one thing I thought that was kind of cool was um, you know watching this this last dance with everyone else. I guess I didn't realize how many years consecutively that New York not only won or sorry not only made the playoffs but won around. Yeah. So this was the first year I think in ten years that they didn't get past the first round. Um. And just, yeah, kind of like touching on what you were saying about Vince being the best player. It seemed like the whole series and this game was kind of framed around, you know, kind of like do or die. And then also can Vince, you know, do what he did in game four or can New York shut down Vince? It wasn't like, oh, if Allen Houston steps up, uh, you know, Vince can't do anything about it. It was kind of like either Vince gets stopped or he doesn't. That seems to be the, like the major factor here. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Yeah, they were super aggressive with double teams in this series. And it's funny because you think about like the 2019 Raptors and the double teams that would come Kawhi Leonard's way. And you think of like the spacing and the ball movement and the quarter threes that on the weak side that that would be hurled up as a result of a double team coming Kawhi's way. Mostly what they did in this series with Vince is they posted him up a ton, which is weird. And then the doubles would come to the post. And then most of like the off ball movement is just like cutting too close to the rim. (laughs) That was like a note I had down here is most of the, of the movement is just dudes running into the paint and completely clogging (laughs) everything. And I took a couple screen caps while I was watching and there's like nine guys inside the paint and one in the corner or up top. And it is, uh, extremely 2001 shit (laughs) it really is yeah like i yeah go ahead i was just gonna say i found um i found the game like shockingly turn takey Mm -hmm. it's kind of like it's just like it was like watching like footage of like an old british war Mm -hmm. it was kind of like that you know vince sets up he's allowed to take his kind of couple dribbles and a fade away or maybe he gets double teamed or on the other end, it was kind of, I don't know, like the, the defense is really aggressive and obviously there's lots of kind of like elbow smacking and they kept kind of talking throughout the game about how the refs are watching for, um, you know, hands or elbows guiding the hip. So that was mm-hmm. clearly a big thing. You were kind of like watching that transition of like the hand checking rules, you know, actually in practice. But yeah, the game was, it's like, you know, there's there's great stuff, and I think there's there was fantastic highlights, but just so much banging and watching yeah. <laughs> guys like Kurt Thomas and and Oakley, and just thinking like I don't know where you would exist in today's NBA, except maybe as a small ball center. Yeah, and you know, I f- yeah, I feel like you know it, it's just 
it's just interesting living through this kind of like whole Golden State era and enjoying how switchy and amazing our Toronto Raptors were last year in the playoffs. And then looking at both these teams, which have really good and tough defenders, mm-hmm. but the schemes are just very, it's like, they're just kind of basic on offense and defense. Yeah. It's, and I guess this is before the change in defensive rules, which I don't totally understand. I know uh, this is maybe showing my ass a little bit, but uh, whenever people talk about like, Oh, got rid of hand checking and the defensive rules change. I'm like, Oh yeah, cool. I don't really know what that looks like in practice. Um, yeah. <laughs> I just, Oh, things seem a little bit easier now. It does. I think seem at this point, like three in the key is not really a thing, at least defensive three seconds because dudes just right. kind of wait there at the rim. And there's usually two guys next to the rim, just sort of flanking it, waiting for guys to come and try to score. Um, and there was at one point the Raptors got called for a violation for having three guys on the weak side during an ISO or something like that, uh, yeah. which was very strange. And again, extremely 2001. But the, the other thing I noticed about this game, the thing I wrote down in my notes here from the first quarter is so many 18-footers in all caps. And it's not 18-footers by like Vince Carter or Alan Houston. It's 18-footers by Charles Oakley and Marcus yeah. Camby. <laughs> like, or even uh, just how about... Like, how about the amount of, you know, would-be threes, but the foot is on the line? And I, it, it fucking infuriated me. It dude. was maddening. <laughs> it was kind of like, I was watching all of these. I'm not the most, you know, kind of like analytics guy, but I mean, I think certain things are obvious. And it was, it was, it reminded me of watching like a, like a food show now where everyone's like touching and there's like lots of saliva and hugging and that sort of thing. And, and you're just kind of cringing mm-hmm. and watching this game, just the amount of, yeah, just like times that someone would take a deep two uncontested or just kind of work themselves towards the most inefficient play possible. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, like, I remember in grade six maybe so like 2003 my basketball coach mr miller saying all the time don't take long twos they're stupid if you're gonna take a shot from there which you probably shouldn't because you are five foot two and are weak uh (laughs) but if you're gonna do it just take a damn three and don't take a 20 footer that seems very stupid and you get more points for the one that's one step back and you know that made sense to me and i was 11 Whereas yeah. it just did not seem like it was part of the coaching whatsoever. And there are so many possessions where there's literally not a single person outside of the three-point arc. It's just like close combat, like just like punching basically. And I don't know. So yeah, I, and, and ball watching. Like yeah, just so a much. lot of ball watching. It, it actually gave me some feels of like a, a really condensed, inefficient version of the Rockets. Like mm. less so with Westbrook. But kind of like this everyone ball watching, but Mm -hmm. also no one standing near the three. Yeah, that's a good point. And they would have like, there was a pick and roll in the third quarter where it was like a pick and pop where Marcus Camby comes out. He pops to like 16 feet and then he throws a high low feed underneath to I think Othella Harrington. And Hubie Brown remarks on the broadcast because this is in the third quarter. He's like, oh, they drew that up in the in, in halftime like that. That that took a lot of like effort and planning to pull that off. And it's like it's a pick and pop with like a high <laughs> yeah. low feed. This is not hard stuff. And I know I feel like I'm denigrating this older style of basketball. And like on the surface, it's certainly less entertaining probably than what we have today. At the same time, I found it very cathartic watching this game and like the just watching 
the Jerome Williams's and Antonio Davis's and Charles Oakley's just beat the piss out of small ball Glenn Rice yeah. and just like completely like flummox Marcus Camby as the only guy who could rebound on the Knicks. Like part of me liked that very stagnant and crappy and violent kind of basketball in a way. Like it was it's again, it's not the most entertaining in the sort of run of the game, but I, I found that when you got down to crunch time, it kind of lended itself to like really high intensity in a way you don't necessarily see now because buckets are a little easier to come by nowadays. Yeah. Whereas it felt like it was like 85, 83 in this game for like four minutes. <laughs> it felt like very tense. And like knowing the outcome 18 years later, 19 years later, I still felt pretty tense watching it down the stretch. Did you get that as well? Yeah, I felt that big time. And like to, to your point about buckets being hard to come by, at some point, I think the Raptors had a 13-point lead, and I was like, oh, this is a massive blowout. Yeah. How is it ever going to get to Alvin Williams like, it felt needing like 50 to get points. a clutch shot? <laughs> yeah, it really did. And, and like, yeah, I mean, I'm curious what, what you know, playoff blowout records were before like kind of this new modern scoring era. Maybe there was a bunch of kind of like 80s playoff series where, you know, there's giant scores, but... Yeah, just the just so many kind of bricks, and also just no, no one, no, like neither team even tried to push the pace. No. Like there was the odd fast break or half fast break, but generally, you know, you, they were using up the majority of the twenty four second clock, which is is also kind of intense in a weird way. Like when the game got tight in the fourth, it's kind of like with each team using it using the most of every possession it was kind of like it made it more precious somehow mm -hmm. oh absolutely and, and i think that you know for those who do like the older style of play uh, i think that is the appeal right is like i i know i've like i've had friends whose dads really liked hockey and their beef with basketball was well they score every time down the floor how could it be entertaining yeah, yeah, yeah. if they're scoring every first of all it's like 50 percent of the time but let's not get into semantics but um <laughs> it is it is just like this is the game that they want and honestly i kind of get it because it does make every possession feel very heavy and i think you kind of got that a lot in that sixer series last year which was what made it so fun is that it was a really grimy series and because of that every possession felt point. precious because if you lose the ball you piss it away or you like throw up a brick like you have squandered one of your very few opportunities to score and i thought that was a really cool part of this game we're going to continue talking about this game in its beautiful, ugly, elbowy glory in just a second. But first, I want to tell people about Built Bar, which is the best tasting protein bar you're ever going to eat. Those Built Bars are awesome. They taste like candy bars, but they're protein bars, and they're pretty healthy for you too. 16 amazing flavors, 8 chocolate nut flavors, and 8 chocolate nut free flavors. Uh, some of my favorites include toffee almond, which is fantastic. Today I had mint brownie, which was also wonderful. Bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. But Built Bar is great for the health-conscious guy as well. Lose or maintain weight while you indulge in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and you've got, again, so many flavors to choose from. And really, you're not looking at like big fluctuations in the nutritional content of each of them either. You have the peanut butter brownie, for example, 20 grams of protein, 170 calories, 3 grams of sugar, 3 grams of net carbs. For mint brownie, you've got 15 grams of protein, 110 calories. That is so few calories. 4 grams of sugar and 5 Five grams of net carbs. They're all naturally flavored. 
And they have seven times less sugar, less sugar, that is, than a Cliff Bar. Seven times. That's ridiculous. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 10 bucks off your first order. Use the promo code LOCKEDON for $10 at BuiltBar.com and they do deliver to Canada. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, Freddie, let's uh, carry on talking about this game. Let's get into the second half a little bit more, where things get uh, very ugly for the Raptors in sort of the... Like, they score quite a bit, I guess, in the third quarter. But also, I'm not sure if this happened on your uh, stream, but there's like a four-minute jump where it goes from the Raptors being up 70 to 59 at the end of the third, and then it jumps to like eight minutes left in the fourth, and it's a 73-71, and the Raptors have squandered a 12-2 run. I don't know how that happens in this game. I don't know how the Knicks scored 12 points in four minutes. That seems foreign to me watching this style of play. I know. Yeah. Uh, What were your uh, thoughts on that? Yeah, I actually tried to find another feed because I thought, I don't know, like it was some kind of glitch or something. And the other feed was, was basically the same thing. Like huh. the, uh, the other feed was skipping free throws at times and kind of like these big jumps in, in time. So yeah, the Knicks comeback really c- kind of caught me by surprise. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought, the, I thought the game got kind of pretty sloppy and it seemed like the Raptors were kind of hold, trying to hold on to their lead for the most, you know, for the majority of the fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. And it also seemed like, you know, the way Hubie Brown was was calling the game, that there was, that New York kind of had this confidence. Mm -hmm. And it was only really, it was only really when I think the foul trouble kind of peaked in the game is when the team, like the, the New York squad, kind of like their veteran savviness seemed to kind of like wear off a little bit. Like, you know, I guess it's a, pretty late in the game but when can be fouls out i think that was a pretty big momentum thing mm-hmm. yeah the the fouls in this game are insane there's i mean it's not like i guess like a crazy number of fouls the knicks get 27 fouls called them it just feels like i don't know if you felt like this too it felt like it was the main storyline of the game from like the first quarter on because i think antonio davis got too early uh and then it was Sprewell, kurt thomas marcus canby and alan houston all at one point had four or more Canby fouls out. Houston had five like early in the fourth quarter as well. And like that was all they were talking about. It was that and the Raptors offensive rebounding, which when you look at the numbers is not at all what it sounded like on the broadcast. I don't know. Like, so are you looking at the box score right now, Freddie? Yeah, I actually okay. just scrolled down to the I scrolled down. I'm, I'm in basketball reference. I don't yeah. know which one you're on. 
So you're stunned by the number of rebounds the Raptors pulled in, correct? Because that, it seemed like they grabbed every rebound, and the broadcast acted as such, but the Knicks actually out-rebounded the Raptors 39-35, and the, uh, they, they pulled in just about the same number of offensive rebounds, which was uh, the, like the main storyline they were focusing on throughout the game. That's wild. Yeah, I, the, the idea that... So wait, are, are we looking at the same thing, that the Knicks out-rebounded the Raptors by four? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was it was weird because they kept kind of framing it as like, oh man, you know, they're playing perfect defense, but uh, but Vince keeps getting the calls, and I feel like Vince did get some kind of you know friendly whistles, mm-hmm. but also I had no idea what and you know what wasn't and what was a foul in this game because yeah. it just seems like people were smacking each other, and <laughs> I think particularly Kurt Thomas a couple times I was like, I you know. Obviously, I'm a Raptors fan, but I was kind of like, I don't know what he did that Oakley is not doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because Oakley, how he didn't foul out of the game or, you know, even like Antonio Davis, he was banging pretty hard the whole game. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was Antonio Davis's entire career, as I'm sure yeah. we're going to see on the last dance in a couple of weeks here, too, when they get to that Pacers series. Like, dude was mean. And Oh, that, right. Like, that was the Davis and Davis deal, yeah. right? Yeah um like that like dude was mean you had jerome williams who we'll get to uh, a certain celebrity who was upset about jerome williams a little bit later but oh um God. the yeah just like the raptors size seemed to bother the knicks quite a bit and, and look, there were like four offensive rebounds in the last minute of the game for the knicks where they were just scrambling and they were down by like eight so it didn't really matter so it kind of inflates their offensive rebounding totals a little bit i suppose but i was expecting to see like a rebounding total of like raptors 50 knicks 35 but it was 39-35. And also, 39-35 and rebounds for a team total in a game is uh, playing NBA 2K20 on five-minute quarters shit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. The pace is insane. (laughs) As someone who is playing NBA 2K20 and and has moved up the quarter time, Mm -hmm. that really connects with me on a a very deep level. What are you at with quarter time right now? What do you play? This is embarrassing, but I'm I'm so bad at video games. Like I basically had a three- or four-year like where I didn't have a PlayStation or anything. So mm-hmm. I'm playing 12-minute quarters. Me too. Okay, okay, this yeah. makes me feel great. And I, I, I got drafted by the Raptors, so I'm oh, actually yeah. playing this year. Like I'm, I'm doing the 2K player thing. Awesome. See, I'm just doing a season because I miss, uh, you know, dunking with Pascal Siakam and all that stuff. Yes. But um, I do the 12 minute quarters, too, because it paces out pretty nicely to like what the modern game is. It certainly is like double For the sure. pace of 2001, but we're not dealing with that right now. <laughs> Other notes from this game I have Alvin Williams was driving me crazy in this game. Uh, and I can say that because we talked yesterday on the podcast. Go listen to it. Um, but he was driving me crazy because he was, I think, the worst culprit for the one foot inside the three-point line shot. Yes. And it was exhausting because it just – and, like, he wasn't even that bad. Like, he was 5 of 13, fine. Uh, and he hit a couple big ones late to kind of vindicate the entire shoot 20-footers only uh, ethos that he had. But, like, <laughs> it just felt like, again, what, why, what's so hard about that extra step? No one's guarding you. All the defenders are at the paint. <laughs> like, what's, like, what's stopping you? Uh, but no, he yeah, like comes take in. a fifteen footer exactly. But he comes through late. He uh, he hits a big and one in the third quarter actually, which was a, a really big sort of swing. It kind of started that run where the Raptors pulled away a little bit. Um, and so Alvin was great. The other guy who I thought was a star of this game, as I mentioned at the top, was Hubie Brown. Uh, what a king he was in this game. He was just like 
mad at the guys not trying hard the entire game. Did you find that? Yeah, I think at one point, I think he really kind of started giving it to Harrington, if I'm, yep. if I'm not correct. Like he was like, you got to try that. You're harder than that in a playoff series. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm not sure if he's listening to you, Hubie, but also you're just passionate enough that, that you're letting it fly. Like I, I think for me, the, the call of the game and or I mean, just from a, a sheer kind of like shocking standpoint was uh, do you remember when Camby gets fouled out of the game and Hubie brings up the fact that his family was in a hostage scenario days before? I must have missed this, but what? So I, <laughs> yes, yes. It's uh, no one was, uh, everyone like made it out okay, but his mom and his two sisters um, were basically kidnapped in their own home um, after game one of the series. Oh, I feel like I've heard about this. Yeah. So when, when Camby gets, gets in foul trouble, Hubie Brown's like such a difficult game for Camby and obviously extra difficult with his hostage situation with his family. <laughs> Out of and context. That's I, insane. <laughs> yeah. My jaw just dropped. I was like, Whoa, Whoa. Because like, you know, it hadn't been mentioned before. Yeah. Also, before the context you provided, I thought you were suggesting that Hubie Brown was mad at the referees for fouling him out in lieu of, like, in, <laughs> in response to the hostage situation. Like, give the guy a break. He's had a tough week. Don't foul him out of this game. Uh, yeah, come but on, obviously refs. Not. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the Raptors did get a favorable whistle in this game. This is like one of the first instances so. of uh, don't ever believe the anti-Canada conspiracy stuff. Because, uh, yeah. you know, the, when you have Charles Oakley, Antonio Davis, Keon Clark, and Jerome Williams, and you only get 19 fouls called against you, and nobody fouls out or gets more than four fouls, uh, you're probably not at the, at the wrong end of a conspiracy theory by the referees. <laughs> yeah. Like, I find, you know the everyone's against Canada stuff. It, it feels good sometimes, but um, generally upon closer inspection, almost never holds up. It's, also it, the, kind the, of the Raptors have been done dirty sometimes, but yeah. I think other teams also have been done dirty. You know? Absolutely. Also kind of that entire argument goes out the window when you win a title, I think. So yes. Yes. We can oh never God. lean on that ever again. It's a bummer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Al it's almost really not like worth the title. Yeah, you know what? I'd rather just be a curmudgeon-y Torontonian. <laughs> um, so we get into the fourth quarter of this game, which is very fun, and the Knicks make it super interesting again by jumping ahead with a 12-3 run in four minutes that are skipped on the feed. Um, and then just after we get and pick up the action again, Vince hits like a big balls three, and it puts them up 76-71. My favorite note on that was... Uh, Vince go the, the the broadcaster suggesting that the Raps just went five of eight from three in the game like eight threes attempted with eight minutes left in the game is wonderful stuff it's great then Camby fouls out I think at this point too there's a, a long rebound that Kurt Thomas doesn't get to and Hubie Brown's like you gotta get that ball Kurt you just can't not let that ball go away because <laughs> yes. like that that was again part of this part where um, like the Raptors are kind of bludgeoning them on the glass and then it's kind of fun back and forth for a sec. And then Alvin Williams has a moment before his moment, which might even be more important than the shot he hits later where he hits a mid ranger from like a similar spot where he'll hit the dagger. And then he hits a three to put him up 81 76. Um, I, I, whenever Alvin had the ball in this game, 
I was comfortable and happy. Whenever Chris Childs had the ball in this game, I was horrified. What about you? Uh, actually, I have the game on in the back, and to end the third quarter was, was Chris Childs basically ripping the ball out of Alvin Williams' hands <laughs> and tossing up a three that hit the side of the backboard. Yeah. <laughs> and there was four seconds left, and I don't really think it was heavily contested. There are so many but, of those just insane, not even close misses. Like, I think Glenn Rice almost wedgies a three with a few minutes left in this game. When they're down 83-80, he like just bricks it so hard it almost gets stuck. Vince had a shot at the end of the third, at, like in that child sequence, I believe, where he had a turnaround and, and there was like six seconds left on the clock. I think he thought it was at the buzzer and it goes off the side of the backboard. Um, some very wobbly shooting in this game because uh, no one could get to the rim because of all the enormous people blocking the shit out of everybody, I guess. Um, but, and just the l- yeah. lack of spacing, I think, too. Like, I'm, I'm looking at Vince three for three from three yeah. in a game five. Like, can you imagine that ever happening again? People would be freaking out. would be like, you, you hit three threes and you only <laughs> took three? You're a maniac. Why would you not take 10 threes? Yeah. And I, even that time, it was ever like, uh, you know, at, at one point, Hubie Brown. Um, oh, wait, that, sorry, I might be referencing something from game four. Yeah, I, I think I am. But they, they were just kind of talking about Vince, you know, how he needed to continue to drive to the rim. And this idea of him shooting threes was kind of like derided. And it's like, man, Vince was so, he was so right. And mm-hmm. everyone else was so wrong. Also important to note that Vince played 48 minutes in this game every second and scored 27 on 11 of 20. Really the only efficient performer outside of, I guess, Chris Childs, who had 10 and 9 on 4 of 8. Um, but yeah, there's some wonky shooting lines on the Raptors side of things. The, the Knicks actually shoot really well in this game. They shot 37 to 73 for a time. They were at like 55 or 60%. Uh, Glenn Rice kind of brought them down. He was 2 of 10, but... Um, it was, I, I think, until late when the possession game kind of evened out a little bit. Like the Raptors, I think, were just getting way more possessions and way more shots up than the Knicks were early on because they didn't shoot terribly. Well, they were forty-six percent um, late in this game too. You get Antonio Davis having a couple moments. He has like, a, I think, a really nice turnaround late, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and he, I don't know, he was like, yeah, he had a turnaround to make it eighty-five, eighty. I forget. I, I forgot, I guess, like how good Antonio Davis was. He's really talented and have like beautifully soft hands around the rim. Yeah, he's one of those guys who kind of just looks like a bodybuilder. Yeah. <laughs> but he kind of has more skill than you think he should. It's like uh, a lot of times, you know, guys that are kind of like have that, that super broad shoulders don't have the soft hands. So it's uh, he's, he's kind of one of those guys that is just a lot more skilled than he should be. Like he's like a, it almost reminds me of like a like a linebacker in football or something who can run very very fast. Yeah, yeah. He's extremely heavy, but yeah, I mean like, you know, Davis could shoot. Uh, he wasn't really you know known as like a passer or anything like that, but he could move the ball fairly well. Like that's one thing I did notice on this Raptors team was you know maybe it was just a a really well executed game, but the turnovers at least uh, heading into the fourth were pretty low. Yeah, and they only had eleven, the, so. Yeah, they only had eleven throughout the whole game, and I think the the team is was a pretty like you know pretty deliberate as far as ball movement and and Davis in my mind is you know was clearly this team's kind of like second best player even if he didn't even if Alvin Williams had had the had the you know the the Robin style game mm-hmm. Antonio still was a guy who he touches the ball a lot 
like they they ran a lot of stuff through him. Yeah, totally. And, you know, when it, when it goes to Oakley, you know Oakley's kind of just looking for the pass. Well, yes, but also just like bombing 18-footers as well. He had 12 shots in this game. I feel like every single one of them was from 18. <laughs> yes, and I also feel like every shot he hit was like in the first quarter. Yes, he was really like hot early on. Yeah. Yeah. I also, so I didn't realize until looking at the box score, because the screen was so fuzzy, a couple of those shots, because Oakley was 34 and Mo Pete was 24, I thought a few of those were Mo Pete. Mo Pete did not play in this game. So it was just Oakley yeah. hanging out in Mo Pete range <laughs> and, and putting up bricks. Um, I, yeah. It's kind of odd to see that we only played seven guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, I guess, was Mo Pete a rookie? He, that was his rookie season, yeah. So he was wasn't in it too season, much. Okay. Um, Tracy Murray also benched Michael Stewart and Eric Montross. You got Keon Clark only got nine minutes of play. I, I love Keon Clark. I, very sad story. Um, yeah. And it's kind of depressing. Excuse me, depressing to talk about him, but um, yeah. he was great. He was super fun, and I uh, I would have liked more Oakley in this. Sorry, more Clark in this game in lieu of Oakley. I think because Oakley almost at times seemed like he was going to shoot them out of it, just because he was uh, just so recklessly just throwing up those eighteen footers. Uh, and then JYD in this game is the reason for my favorite uh, sort of extracurricular thing from this broadcast, which was at halftime. They yes. pan over to the sideline interview, and it's David Duchovny sitting next to Taya Leone, who I guess is dating D- D- Duchovny at this point. She's just about to star in Jurassic Park two or Jurassic Park three and one. Things yep. are very big for Taya Leone, and they ask Taya Leone her thoughts on the game, and Duchovny is like very disgruntled and says to to tell to tell the camera to to Taya is like tell them that they need to put like they need to put a body on Jerome Williams they need to put a body on Jerome he repeats himself like three times i know very disturbed by Jerome Williams <laughs> well what's funny is like i feel like she's about to launch into actually like deeper insight yeah she starts to, like <laughs> if the the beginning of her sentence is kind of alluding to like they need to do something about mark jackson mm-hmm. and then just as she starts he kind of like leans over and he, and he just keeps saying that so yeah. That kind of that won the day. Can can I give you my like little uh, extra extra thing I noticed for extracurricular activity? Yes, please. So, in your in the feed you watched, did you watch the like? There was like probably a two minute Lenny Kravitz montage. No, like, I must have skipped ahead. So they were showing like highlights of the game, and I'm pretty sure it was Lenny Kravitz. It's like you got to believe. And uh, it went on for a very long time. And I think that it must have been advertising something because it also skipped like a portion of the game. And it, when it cut back, all you see, like, all, like the, the play that it cut to was Latrell Sprewell doing like a, a, a you know, pretty, pretty exaggerated Latrell Sprewell like jump step layup. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I just wrote in my little notes, like Lenny Kravitz, you got to believe, clearly powered Latrell Sprewell in the fourth quarter. Well, it's a shame that uh, the game did not go Lenny, uh, Latrell Sprewell's way eventually. I butchered that. Fuck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was supposed to be an are you going to go my way joke, but I couldn't uh, make it work with my brain. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> Listen, it's it's going to happen. You know, Lenny has got a big scarf. People do stuff. Yeah. Latrell Sprewell was awesome in this game, by the way. He had 29, 12 of 23. 
He yeah. was uh, he was the guy who scared me the most. He was also the only guy who seemed like he was like getting into it on the glass. I know he only had four boards in the game, but he was mixing it up and like clearing space for Kurt Thomas to grab his twelve boards pretty frequently. Yeah. And his defense, you know, was was pretty like he 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 was one of the. There is a bunch of guys on the, in this game that I think would absolutely thrive in, in today's NBA. Like Allen Houston, obviously. Oh, you yeah. know, I, know he, I know he had a bad game, but with Charles Sprewell, it's just such a perfect, you know, I guess he's not a three. I guess he's a two. Yeah. He's like a, like a two and D. Like he's just a great swing. And, you know, the Raptors really could roll out some really unique kind of small ball, all swing men lineups almost. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, I, I thought, I thought with Charles Sprewell kind of like had a very, very complete game. He even had like two steals. Yeah, three, yeah. Uh, three assists. He was the guy who scared me the most for sure. I think Mark Jackson was pretty quiet, didn't really do anything. Also, it's weird to see Mark Jackson completely bald. I'm just used to his like his look on TV, and it was right. very jarring to see him totally bald. Um, Houston was a little bit. I mean, he was six of ten and was pretty good when he was out there, but he only played 30 minutes because of the foul trouble. Like, I feel like he would have been closer to Spree's 46 if he, you know, didn't get a bunch of fouls called against him. Um, and the bench was bad. I mean, the bench only combined for 12 points. You got five from Glenn Rice, who goes two of 10. Uh, you've got five from Charlie Ward, who goes two of seven. And then you got Othello Harrington only playing 10 minutes off the bench. But um, Yeah, that's pretty rough. Yeah, both teams going uh, pretty shallow in their rotations, and the Raptors just had better players. And that's the thing is Vince was just better than everybody on the team for the Knicks. Um, so going forward from here, we know what happens against the Sixers for the Raptors. I do find it awesome that this is the very last time the Knicks are not an embarrassment for, uh, 12 or 13 years. Uh, that kicks ass. The Raptors ruined the Knicks. I know that actually makes me feel really good. Yeah. Uh, in, in a, I guess a sadistic way, but I, I, to be honest, I kind of felt that way with Golden State as well. It it feels cool to be, you know, on the other side of, uh, like you know, obviously we don't have LeBron or MJ, but it, it feels it feels good to kind of like definitively spike down an era. Yeah. Um. And I I don't think the Knicks off season was like oh what do we do about the Raptors, but I do think that that was the end of the road, and I kind of like that, especially since they swept us the year before. And I mean you know for Raptors fans to have your first series win in Madison Square Garden, it, it's it's pretty huge and. It just makes you think like Vince was really, you know, just getting better with every game. His confidence, it makes you wonder what he would have been capable of had he hit that, you know, the graduation shot. Like in in that, I think it's the Bucks they would have played. Like what, like how much better would have Vince, would Vince have gotten throughout that playoff run? And then you get the next year too, which we talked about yesterday as well, which, you know, where he gets hurt late in the season yeah. and they rattle off 12 of 14 without Vince to make the playoffs. And I think doing that kind of soured people on Vince a little bit. It's like, well, they don't need Vince. So they can go and win those games after losing 17 of 18 with him before this, like, and like maybe if he hits that shot against Philly, that sentiment doesn't creep in because it's still very clear he's so essential to what the team is about. I don't know. There's actually, funnily enough, Monday we're going to be doing uh, a whole breakdown of what if Vince had hit the shot in Game Seven uh, with Catherine Niker, who is uh, oh my god, amazing frequent guest on your show. So that'll be a lot of fun, Freddie. Man, this was a lot of fun. This was a blast. Yeah, this dude. is great. Thank you so much for coming on. Do you have anything you'd like to promote? 
Um, yeah, j- just my podcast. Check it out. Uh, Confederacy of Dunks basketball podcast. Um, it's a, uh, it's a fun time. We're, we're kind of rocking it uh, every Tuesday and trying to generate some positivity with, uh, with, with everything that's going on. And fortunately we're kind of covering the, uh, the last dance episodes right now. So uh, that's been pretty fun. And um, Sean, I got to have you back on the pod and uh, maybe with Katie or Catherine or something. And yeah, man. Happy to come on anytime. Uh, it's a lovely podcast. Go check it out if you need happiness in this uh, time of darkness. Uh, I can recommend no podcast more than Confederacy of Dunks. Uh, I would also recommend you check out uh, Basketball, which is my new podcast with Katie Heindel, which is now up on the Stringer Labs podcast network. It's available wherever you get your podcast, so please check that out. Of course, subscribe to, rate, and review this here podcast. It's much appreciated when you go and do that helps us out with uh, rankings and all that stuff on all the podcast platforms. And uh, again, thanks to Built Bar for sponsoring today's show. We'll be back again on Friday. Myself and Vivek Jacob are going to take a look back at game four of the 2014 first round against the Brooklyn Nets. We talked last week in the Patreon episode uh, released from a year and a half ago about game seven of that series. But game four is also super fun. I believe it's a kick-ass Kyle Lowry game, if I'm not mistaken. So we're going to talk about that in depth. It's going to be great. And uh, that'll wrap up the week. So thanks so much for tuning in. We will talk to you on Friday with another episode of Locked On Raptors. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.